Elliot, how are you doing? I'm very good, thanks. You? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I was uh, standing in the scoreboard paddock, the uh, the endangered scoreboard paddock for the Watford game. There were a few people with uh, a few signs held up. Uh, I counted one long banner and four bits of A4. Not exactly a uh, unified protest. Pretty sure, wouldn't swear to this, pretty sure that the singing section started singing No One Gives a Stuff, No One, No One Gives a Stuff. I might have changed the lyrics there slightly uh, when when that protest went up, um, but I might be wrong about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty dumb protest. No? Yeah, uh, the argument that I've heard a few times is that the um, that you're losing a bit of atmosphere if you lose that bit of the ground, and that is an argument that holds absolutely no weight because although it was standing all the way through in a game where United played pretty well, I mean, okay, not a big game, but. United put on some, put on a bit of a show. There was next to no noise from that bit of the ground uh, all the way through. You're saying people in wheelchairs can't make some noise? Well, no, but that's what that's what people are saying because it's a, you know it's obviously a more disparate um, grouping when you're in, in terms of the physical space. But but they're not going to make any less noise than was being made uh, in that scoreboard paddock. I mean, the hmm. argument that the seats are cheap is a good argument and. It's not hard to be cynical about United, is it? Uh, true. Yes. Um, although it's it's making, you know, ticket prices are making up uh, a smaller and smaller proportion of United's overall revenue anyway. So um, it's part of the reason why when they announced the 17-18 season ticket prices this week, they froze ticket prices again for, what, sixth or seventh year in a row. So um, uh, in terms of the actual impact on the bottom line, it's very small to freeze them now. You know, we know exactly what the Glazer did, Glazers did when it was important to them to have ticket prices uh, higher uh, when it was actually a substantial part of United's revenue. Anyway, anyway, we're starting the, the podcast off on uh, something of a sort of negative conversation, really. Well, sort of. Um, when there was actually a game in which United didn't draw at home to a mediocre side. What was going so, on? It was so good. It was so good. It's like winning the Champions League. We were fifth, fifth in the league for hours, I tell you. Giddy, uh, giddy stuff, that is. <laughs> um, do you remember a time before United was sixth? I'm not sure I do. <laughs> oh, yes, Saturday for for whatever, however many hours it was until Liverpool scored their first. No, no. What, what happened was like, a black monolith descended to earth. And apes beat the shit out of each other. That's the last time United were higher than six. <laughs> um, it was uh, it was a really fun game of football from start to finish. It was like all the games of football we've had this season, except with goals. You know, like there's so many of those frustrating games. And what are we before this is recorded? Before City play on Monday, we're two points off second place. What a ridiculous fact! Yeah, well, after City beat Bournemouth. 7-5 or whatever it's going to be uh, on Monday night because <laughs> yeah. it will be something like that. Um, yeah, we, I guess we'll be four points off second. But, uh, yeah, it's really compressed. It's, it's certainly a very tight race for second place. I mean, Chelsea drew on Sunday. Can't imagine they're going to let a 10-point ten uh, ten gap slip. It's happened before, but I can't imagine it will this time. They look very, very solid, don't they, Chelsea? But uh, race for the Champions League is definitely on. And, and United put in a, a very competent performance. It wasn't wasn't that exciting as a performance. It was. I think I, I in the WhatsApp Rankast WhatsApp group, I called it one of the most Mourinho esque performances from United because actually for about a lot of the first half, perhaps even the first hour or so, United were prepared to just let Watford have the ball and then hit them on the break, which was very effective uh, for the most part. Um, and then the last half hour, United was so dominant, they, they monopolised possession. But it was very, very comfortable. And at no point did it look like Watford would really get away with not being beaten. I mean, I would say the, you're right in, in a technical sense at no point did it look like it. But when Mkhitaryan skied that ball over the bar and Zlatan had already missed one pretty great chance and then a, and then actually a very tricky chance and one that he did brilliantly to carve out for himself. Um, but yeah, and, and I think uh, Zlatan had, yeah, so he had one saved at the near post. He did that chest and spin and volley that went over the bar and Mkhitaryan skied it over the bar. And at that point you're thinking, oh no, not again, not again. Um, and actually Zlatan tried to stuff up Mata's goal as well. 
like if if Zatan had made contact with the kind of behind the foot flick he was trying to do, um, I think it would have just like gone to where the defenders were at the near post. But fortunately, he missed, which kind of made them all miss, and and meant Mata could poke it home. And definitely from that point on, United looked comfortable. I thought. Um, the football that United were playing was really exciting in the first half an hour of that game. Like Martial really looked lively and excited and happy to be there. Um, Mkhitaryan was wonderful and Mata was wonderful. And uh, there was, there was one big lumbering, uh, amazing legendary footballer causing a lot of problems to United. Uh, Fellaini didn't play though. So (laughs) what's your problem with him? (laughs) No, no. I mean, Ibrahimovic was, uh, I was getting really frustrated with him because he kept coming deep. I mean, for the love of God, when you've got Mkhitaryan and uh, Massa and Martial behind you and, and Massa was drifting inside as he's wont to do a lot, you know, pretty flexible three behind him. They're, they're running or trying to run in support. So was Pogba. So was Herrera, actually, because he got forward uh, perhaps even more than Pogba. Uh, and uh, Zlatan's in their zone as uh, Robin Van Persie would call it, all the time. Just kept on coming deep. And, you know, no point was he showing United an option to to play the through ball or to go over the top or to change it up at all. Just meant all the footballers in front of Watford. It's, um, you know, it is, it is a challenge. I mean, obviously the guy's got 20 goals this season, so that's pretty important in the, in the scheme of things. But um, it, it doesn't half... Uh, make United play in a certain way. Watford weren't good enough to stop United this time out. I mean, I, I genuinely thought it was a watching it in the stadium. I genuinely thought it was a one out of ten performance from Ibrahimovic. Um, I think retrospectively, that's probably a little bit harsh because one out of ten implies nothing good at all. And he did a few things well. I mean, got an assist. He did absolutely. I mean, that'll boost his rankings and all the you know the performance <laughs> rating things. Seven point nine on who scored? That is a faulty metric right there. Um, but the uh, the the time when he burst into the box, took it on his chest, span and blasted it over the bar, that was almost the first run behind the defenders he'd made all game. And it was it was really interesting when he made that run because you think, actually, this is quite he's playing kind of rope-a-dope with these defenders in a way by not making any runs into the box ever until until that one. Um and they just looked they were completely all at sea to handle it. And it's 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 a shame he, he kind of had to do something really elaborate to make a proper chance out of that. But generally generally speaking, it was immensely frustrating. It looked like Watford's back three was there to be kind of got beyond at pretty much at will. I mean, not very often Ibrahimovic is going to be favoured in a foot race against a Premier League centre back, but against Yunus Kabul Probably is, um, especially if he gets a running start. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, Kabul is a, a player who's been stealing a wage in the Premier League for 10 years. It's amazing. He's still playing in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, He's got some dirt on someone. <laughs> and and Ibrahimovic didn't take advantage of that. And, and I saw some people being quite critical of uh, the opening sort of 20 minutes of Martial's performance. But basically, every time he got the ball into dangerous positions, he would look across and find no one in the box um and and when there was someone in the box it was often matter so the ball had to go along the ground at which point you know defenders were well placed to clear it so it was quite frustrating um but united still managed to carve out even kind of carrying ibrahimovic essentially they managed to to carve out some some really fine chances pogba was like great just great i thought yeah and in a slightly deeper position obviously because no carrick in the side and uh, we we talked about the, the kind of question over the Mkhitaryan, Carrick, Mata trio and and how you could perhaps get M- Mata and Mkhitaryan both into the side. You know, and it's very nice when they're both in the side, isn't it? Um, and that basically means losing Carrick. So Pogba's a little deeper. Um, uh, but, you know, completely bossed the game, as you'd kind of expect when he's 1v1 against Tom Cleverley. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Two United youth products there of varying different career trajectories. Mm-hmm. I yeah. guess we should. Uh, I guess we should talk about Anthony Martial. Uh, what did you make of his performance? Well, look, I, I think this was something of the Martial of the past in that he looked a bit more confident. He got the ball, and and what you want is the ball in front of him. You know, him either running into space or running with the ball at his feet um, and attacking players, and he did that a lot. 
you know, and there were some successes and quite a lot of failures in doing that. But he scored a, a very good goal, kept his composure, uh, which was important, and uh, and got an assist as well. Um, and I thought overall a very good performance from him and it's got to be one further step on the road to sort of recovery or redemption in Mourinho's eyes, I'd hope. Yeah, I mean, to me, that three looks like the three, doesn't it? And I would have loved, loved, because we were 1-0 up, I would have loved Mourinho to roll the dice and take Ibrahimovic off at half-time and put Rashford on just to see just to see what happened. But obviously that was that was very unlikely to ever happen. Well, it, it would give United a completely different dimension. You know, um, uh, Ibrahimovic is obviously has been a world-class player for the last 15 years or so, um, but he's not going to trouble any of the back four or three of any Premier League clubs with his pace and he doesn't run uh, in behind defenders at all. You know, United have to play a certain way. And when he's doing this which is what he was doing in the early part of the season, which is coming towards the ball uh, 15 yards outside of the penalty area. He's not that effective. You know, he gets the ball and turns and stuff, but it actually then means that United's three behind really have to run a, you know, ahead of the ball. And, and that just wasn't the game United were playing. United were playing ostensibly on the break, even though they had 58% possession. Uh, they were trying to play in broken play. Um, and and so Ibrahimovic coming basically into the tip of midfield is causing all sorts of problems. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the his numbers are really fascinating in that game. So he had seven shots, four off target, two on target. I don't think either of them produced a good save from Gomez. Um, and the, his passing, you know, people were talking about his hold up play being good. He gave the ball away. 37% of the time, like 63% pass completion is remarkably low for a player who is mostly playing straightforward passes. But he made six key passes in that game, which there's yeah, no yeah. way I would have had it that high just from watching the game, you know. No, I wonder whether that's just laying it off for a long shot. United did, took a lot of long shots in this game, you know, a lot. In, in fact, only, there's only three shots on target inside the area in the whole game. Two of them went in. Um, and uh, took like seven, seven or eight long shots that uh, hit the target, and and you know really United you know, looking at the XG, uh, United shouldn't score from those. Should no, but looking mentioning XG is kind of interesting because United underperformed XG in a two 0 win, which is hard to do. Like it doesn't happen that often. No, that's because of all those long shots because yeah, they <laughs> add up. Um, and and yeah, I guess uh, the the uh, Ibrahimovic chance where he cleared it off the line probably had a, a very big XG number next to it. Oh, I mean, great clearance! You know, almost an overhead. <laughs> it's amazing! That was amazing, and that just kind of summed up his day, really. I mean, I think that the point about how United play. I don't know if. This is rose-tinted spectacles, but I would say that is one of the more egregious examples of the thing that you've been talking about all season. And I, I would say that actually he's been less static than that on plenty of occasions. This, this was a particularly, you know, a particularly very standout type of performance like that. Somebody pointing out to me that this is not just about Carrick, but about the fact that we're playing four two three four two three one with a ten as opposed to four three three where it's him and two other wide forwards and there's almost more space there and somehow he he I don't know it's, it's kind of counterintuitive because you'd think with a ten he would think less that he has to be the ten um but he just as you said he, he did it all game one goal in the last five uh for Ibrahimovic so yeah. um after that burst of form through uh, through Christmas and and just into the new year, it's uh, it's slowed down a little. I bet it picks up again, though. You know, I bet there's another. I bet there's another one. That that would. I'm be sure. My, my bet. I'm sure. Um, some other great performances. Uh, Brian Herrera, Roy Herrera, N'Golo Herrera, the man, the myth, the legend, the interception and tackles machine that is under Herrera. Do you see that slide tackle, Ed? Did you see it? Did you see the slide tackle and Herrera did? He he had a great game again. He had a great game again. He was you know all energy and and actually you know if you look at the heat map he's he's playing a little further forward of, of Pogba. That's because he kept running he running into space all the time. You know and um, yeah uh, he's having a great season. Also I, th I wonder whether a lot of that is to do with how aggressively he presses. Like when United haven't got the ball he's getting it back a long way up the pitch. Seven tackles in that game. 
That's, that's a lot of tackles for a team with 57% possession. It is. Um, and another player whose defensive contribution is more than worthy of note is uh, United's best centre-half by some considerable margin. Marcus uh, Rojo. He didn't play. <laughs> Eric Bailly was outstanding in that game. Outstanding. He's back, yeah. I mean, uh, so is this uh, Jones and Rojo no longer United's best centre-back partnership? Well, I don't know because it's it's almost Van Gaal-esque from Mourinho he won't. He doesn't seem to want to play Bailly with Jones or Rocco. Yeah, he's playing when when Bailly plays. Smalling plays. Very odd. Yeah, I mean, look, um, United have conceded hardly any goals recently. It's like three in the last twelve or something. Uh, if you if you uh, exclude penalties, um, there's uh, hardly any goals at all. So defensively, uh, United are outstanding, and it doesn't seem to matter who's in that back four because three of those. Back four places are up for grabs all the time. It seems the only the only other one, um, Valencia, who's uh, absolutely United's best right back because he's having a, an outstanding season. Very good again, I thought against Watford, just bombing forward. He allows Mata just to drift inside. He, he kind of makes that system viable. Um, uh, you know, Mkhitaryan's going to play at ten. He's by no means a traditional number ten. Um, you, you'd expect Mkhitaryan to. Loses the ball sometimes because he he runs with it so much. Um, Matter drifts inside to play the much more traditional number ten, and and Valencia is bombing up the wing to give United width. Uh, at one point, Bay was bombing up the wing to give United width as well. He spans someone in the box and put in a fire cross. Like the guy can do everything. I mean, you say you say three out of those four positions are up for grabs, and I don't disagree with you because we did see someone other than Bay take the reins, but uh, it's going to be well hard to displace him from that back four, I would suggest. Now that he's back and he's going to be here for the rest of the season, it's going to take an injury to get him out of that side, I'd say. He's a cut above the rest of those defenders. Very classy player. Oh, talking of classy players, one that I've been very critical of for weeks on end this season, a player who finally had a good game. Daley Blint, his first good game since, can't even really remember when, but it's maybe his first good game since Leicester at home. Um, I might be forgetting one, uh, but I thought he was he was excellent. He, he he was a little shaky at first, then he really grew into that and, and provided Martial with a, a lot of support and did some uh, did some very good defensive work too. Yeah, um, all his best performances ever for United have come at left back, <laughs> apart from a few really. Apart from like that centre back performance against Everton when he had Lukaku <coughs> pocketed. Is that what a pocket sounds like? I don't know. I just wanted to go. That's the noise that came out when I did the hand motion for pocketing. It was it's, it's <laughs> like a dying frog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He pocketed him like a like you like a small child would pocket a dying frog in uh-huh. a whilst brooking a muddy ford. Uh huh. Fording a muddy brook. <laughs> I don't know one way or the other. Um, but yeah, five tackles and three interceptions from Blint in a game where it didn't feel like the defensive stuff was the thing he did most of. So yeah, I, I was I was I was impressed and delighted to see Daly Blint playing well again for the first time in a while. Not not the toughest opposition, admittedly, but you know. No, I mean M- Mourinho made a lot of Watford's sort of supposed organisation and defensive rigour and all of that before the game, and there's something in that. Although they have conceded quite a lot of goals this season, but. Uh, um, you know, Mazzari's old school and uh, they have at times this season set up quite old school, you know. They're, they're prepared to be physical. Uh, yeah, not, they, no. we didn't see that much of that at Old Trafford, I don't think. There was a few, was a few niggly, sort of kicky business. There was some, there was some kicky business. Um, uh, the um, Troy Deeney tried to bully Eric Bailly, but he did not succeed in bullying Eric Bailly because I think Eric Bailly might be unbullyable. Yeah, well, it's, you know... One brick shit house against an even bigger brick shit house. There, <laughs> um, it's funny seeing Deeney play live. Never seen him play live before. It must be a nightmare to play against him. I reckon if you put him up front in a really good team, he would just be mega destructive. Not like saying he's a, a world beater or anything, but he's uh, he's definitely a unique challenge for opposition defenders. I would say big big unit is Troy Deeney. Yeah, he really is. Very, very noticeably so. Um, but yeah, I mean, did the, we talked briefly about Martial and you were saying, you know, this is something like the form we've seen, a goal and an assist. You, you can't really complain. I think it's three goals and three assists in his last five starts um, for United. So the idea that Mourinho is somehow, 
you know, the idea that Mourinho's tactics are somehow working, his, his man management tactics are somehow working on Martial seems very bizarre to me since what he's doing is basically what he did last season. Um, but, you know, a lot of people will no doubt give Mourinho credit if Martial bursts through and has an amazing mm. last part of the season. Mm, including Mourinho. <laughs> Yes, no doubt. Absolutely no doubt. Jose Mourinho will be fully convinced that Jose Mourinho handled the situation perfectly. Uh, he will indeed. Well, look, um, what, whatever. Uh, it's, uh, it was a good performance for Martial. I think that's a, a bonus. Uh, Herrera and Pogba, very solid in central midfield. Uh, Mata and Mkhitaryan dovetail you know, brilliantly. The back four was excellent. Um, it wasn't the most exciting United performance ever, but it was very solid and it was a win against... Uh, as I call them, a mediocre opposition at home. And, and there have been six draws against uh, crappy opposition at home this season. I include Arsenal in that. <laughs> um, Do you include and, Liverpool as well? Because you yeah. should, because they were terrible that day. Yeah, I'm, I'm one this weekend. So, of course, all the Scousers are out saying it's their, their year again. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's not. <laughs> so, a lot, a lot of frustrating draws against this kind of offside and uh, so it was important United won and they did yep a uh, good save from De Gea from the uh, free kick and uh, like you say a thoroughly Mourinho performance he talked about it himself actually he, he he talked about style of play because he talks about it all the time and he said he thought that for you know parts of the first half we were like playing absolutely wonderful football and I Totally agree with him there. Like you say, not the most exciting performance in United history, but there was 20 minutes where it was a complete joy to watch us. Um, and then, and he said then at the end, so we we kill the game by making it 2-0, then we kill the game again tactically by bringing on Fellaini. <laughs> I like Mourinho. He's a silly man, but I like him a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. I, I have to say, I'm, you know, physically and mentally shaking my head every time Fellaini comes on with 20 minutes to go. Yeah, just just to close it out, right? Yeah. Even though he has no defensive skills whatsoever. <laughs> he's, he's got a chest control. <laughs> he, did, he did a nice chest control and loads of people around me were like, yes, there it is, the chest. That was good. That was one of the highlights of the game. All right. Thoroughly enjoyable uh, loads of airings for the Herman's Hermits song, which is always a good sign in terms of uh, United playing well. And um, and we roll on uh, with Santa Chen coming up. So shall we do some Twitter questions before we get to the preview, the in-depth, detailed, fully realised analytical preview of Santa Chen and Blackburn Rovers? Let's do it. What I'm saying, Ed, is shall I use up loads of the time on the show so we don't have time to demonstrate how bad our previews are going to be of these games? I, I know loads about St. Etienne. You're going to make an indie joke now, aren't you? No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> I, don't even know, I don't even know who the members of the band St. Etienne are to make that joke. Go for it. Twitter questions. Okay. Um, we heard this week that a former Manchester United... Um, players WhatsApp group exists with at least Rio Ferdinand and Anderson in it. And at what Dever says, uh, who else do you think is in the former MUFC players WhatsApp? Awesome. Well, it's, it's got to be players of that era then. Do you think, do you think Ronnie's in it? <laughs> no way. No, Ronnie doesn't acknowledge any of these people existed in his life. Like, wow. he'll, he'll acknowledge Fergie, but the rest of the players were just impediments to the continued glory of Cristiano Ronaldo. Sad. Bigly sad. Um, Raphael's got to be in it, hasn't he? He was he was of of the same era. Ji Sung Park and Evra are probably in it. Oh, surely, yeah, surely. Right. But they also have their own group. Oh yeah, yeah, just just them two, and Carlos Tevez, <laughs> who is not in the broader United players WhatsApp. It's a whole political thing. Occasionally, Park Ji Sung will share screenshots of that WhatsApp chat in the other one. And then ask Patrice Ever not to tell the people in the main group that he's doing it. It's a whole thing that I just made up. Um, at Cryptic Android, serious grown-up question. Is Mourinho starting to favour the 4-2-3-1 more over the 4-3-3? Or is he limited during, due to Carrick being dropped or rested or whatever? No, I think he switches to that system when Carrick's not in it. Uh, United struggled to play with the three without Carrick. So... Um, uh, he hasn't played too many games against 
uh, opposition, well, at least post-October, against opposition that he's concerned about without Carrick, has he? Uh, no, but there was a distinct pattern that it was 4-3-3, and then that's that's gone for, it's been a while since we played that system, really. And it, and then actually, I think the last two games we've played it, he's changed it at half-time, um, back to 4-2-3-1, so... I wonder whether he just thinks that the 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 run that various different players are in, he, he thinks he's getting enough defensively out of Pogba and Herrera that he can he can do without Carrick, maybe. Uh, at Matt Butler seven says, if Antoine Griezmann does come to United, what do you think is the best formation slash personnel to get the best out of him and Pogba? A question that no French manager has been able to answer yet. Uh, yeah, well, Griezmann isn't a natural number nine. And he's not really a number 11, is he? He's, he's not exactly a number 10 either. Great player, but where, where should he play? Not sure. Uh, how you get the best out of him and Pogba, I think, is, I think it's the great imponderable. I think what you have to do is acknowledge that you're not going to get the very best out of either of them in any formation because they. you have to play Griezmann as a second striker in a 4-2-3-1 with a proper centre-forward to get the very, very best out of him. And you have to play Pogba on the left of a midfield three to get the best out of him. So can't do both of those things at once, I guess. I, I think I think Griezmann coming would be exciting and I think it would make a big positive difference to United overall, provide a ton of options, score a load of goals. But uh, there would be a ton of compromises along the way. Well, including uh, the Mkhitaryan meta dynamic combo and perhaps Anthony Martial as well. Yeah. You can't. I mean, unless you just—if you imagine that lineup on Saturday, who who comes out of that lineup to put to play Griezmann? It's matter, isn't it? That's the logical thing in a way. I mean, oh, the logical thing is it's Ibrahimovic. You play Griezmann as a false nine; he'd be less false than Ibrahimovic was against Watford. Ouch! <laughs> I wasn't even really meant as a dig, but like he—he'd be more of a number nine than Ibra was acting as, wouldn't he? Yeah, and clearly not. I think if you're going to spend eighty-five million pounds on a forward, you don't play Griezmann at number nine, right? It's not his best position, uh, especially in the Premier League. I mean, uh, and especially in that system where he's going to be playing with his back to goal, that doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, let's see if United really are prepared to activate the buyout clause, and there is a buyout clause. Then um, he's going to be coming. You know, it seems that. Woodward is after a marquee player each summer now, and United have the cash to do it. If you saw the financial results this week, United very cash rich, debt poor. Um, uh, the uh, the debt having risen by about eighty million pounds due to forex changes over the, the last quarter. Thank you. I wonder, thank I wonder you. Brexit. What could have those? Thank you. Brexit. Um, uh, but uh, uh, you know, United still generating tons of free cash flow at the moment. And um, and I, I guess they will spend loads of money. Mourinho said there won't be too many players, so it's going to be so, you know a few big name, expensive players. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting summer, and and in a way, the Griezmann signing would be the one, the most exciting signing. But it isn't. You don't look at that squad and go, you know what this squad really needs is another kind of, well, what's exactly their best position, fast, skillful forward? Like, kind of got a few of them. <laughs> um, uh, does Latan get caught offside too often, asks at underscore Van Hughes. So many United attacks break down before they get going and it breaks up our rhythm. I've no idea, actually. I haven't looked at the numbers on this one. Does he get caught out? Is he offside more often than other players? I don't know the answer to that. I, I would say that my kind of instinct says he's in a little bit of that Robin Van Persie, late Robin Van Persie phase where he knows that he's got to kind of catch a yard on these defenders and so he pushes his luck a little bit too much. But that might be confirmation bias. Um, isn't Bay just a joy to watch, asks at Wormito. Yes, he's very entertaining and he's a defender. Yeah, that's good. It's a good. It's a good combination. The thing is, like, he's entertaining, but not in a flaky way. Like, often entertaining defenders are a bit nerve wracking to watch. But he's like a sort of genius football man mountain. It's remarkable. His technical level is so high. Like, he's just so good on the ball, and and so good at um, doing the Pogba thing almost of shielding the ball in ways that you don't quite expect and twisting his body in unexpected directions in order to to keep it keep the ball safe. 
At LaForce number 12 says, if Raymond Verheyen's Twitter egg hatched, which angry bird would pop out? I think maybe just the standard red one. Yeah, just particularly angry. Yeah. Just Although I can main... kind of see him as a kind of, you know, green pig. <laughs> like, so the angry birds are, are the coaches going like, we want to train our players. And he's the pig going, periodization is important. I think that works. No, I think I think the coaches are the established, you know, entrenched establishment. They're the pigs, and he's the Angry Birds firing periodization missiles at the entrenched establishment. So he's all of them. He's all the different Angry Birds. Um, at Jaffo says, "Is it too Route One for you're in a bad way to be your favourite Saint Etienne track?" Asking for a friend. Honestly, yes, this is it is. Is it? Okay. I was gonna say it's a band that's completely passed me by Santa Chen somehow. Yeah. So he's got he's got to pick a more hipster selection, is that what you're saying? His friend, sorry, Jaffa's friend. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, I, I actually I couldn't name a Saint Etienne track, so there you go. Oh, okay. Well then in that case, no, it's not two route one. You can have that as your favourite track, because Ed can't name any. So <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I think general route oneness is is uh using St Etienne, the band, as a um, kind of route into a, ha-ha, isn't it funny there's a club called that as well? Or the other way around. Wow. Having a right pop at the listeners. <laughs> um, well, you know, f- the audience and all that. Um, at United Under... Not literally, unless someone's offering. Come on now, the, the word was bleeped. You could have been saying uh, respect to the audience and Tom just decided to bleep it out. Big congratulations, by the way, to producer Tom on uh, his impending nuptials. We had big news in the Rankcast WhatsApp group this week. It was very joyous. We did. We warned him off it, but he's going ahead anyway. Um, at United, and by we warned him off, we warned him off it. Well, let, let, let's, let's just talk about the relative experience with... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Miss Randy's listening. Um, at United underscore Phil says sixth in the Europa League or second and assumed league improvement like to win I guess he's saying finish sixth and win the Europa League or finish second in the league oh well we've had multiple versions of this question right so in fact we talked about it uh, at some point uh, earlier didn't we yeah what's better silverware or or finishing slightly higher up the table well you know second's nowhere isn't it so uh, you want to win a you want to win a trophy, although it would be financially devastating for the club to not win the Champions League. But if they win the Europa League, this is, that's the thing about they, this question. They're in, is there's no, they're in it. Yeah, yeah, there's no Sophie's Choice here. Sixth in the Europa League is way better because then whoever finishes fourth doesn't get the Champions League place. And it's going to be Let's just so hope that's Liverpool or City. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, is Luke Shaw still a part of Mourinho's plans? I feel like we've talked about this one a lot, sorry, to at Aniruda112. Um... At Paolo Cruz saying, how long until Bailly becomes first choice again? Or more, and the bit that I'd really like to talk about is who is his best partner? Because I think he's first choice again uh, at centre-back um, already. And I think the question of who is his best partner is a really interesting one. If you were given um, the chance to pick the team for a day, assuming you picked Bailly Ed, who would you pick alongside him? Well, I think I said earlier in the season that the natural partnership feels like Smalling because he's the defender of of the options isn't he uh, and buys the ball player um that might just be some kind of you know framing bias going on in my head there uh smalling's not had a good season though so on form it's it's not him is it um although it feels like a, a good partnership uh, so you, you you'd go for Smalling. yeah if it's just a pure choice yeah like based know. like based on your picking the team for Santa Chen, assuming we're going to play a full strength team yeah right now it's it's smalling Right now. Interesting. I think I would play Rocco alongside Bailly because Bailly can definitely be the defender um, and Rocco's been doing a a very decent defensive job too. And I think Rocco's actually a pretty good partner in a centre-back partnership. Like he's kind of aware of what the other one's doing a lot. Mm. Um, But he has no idea how to make toast. So (laughs) None whatsoever. And it came out in the press that burnt toast gives you cancer, so... He's in real trouble. <laughs> Ouch. At MUFC, Jeff says, if you had to get a dog, what breed would you choose? Uh, I'm not really big into pets. No. Um, I think I think I'd quite like an old English sheepdog, to be honest. 
just a big old like this is ignoring the practical realities that I, there's no way I could have a dog. But if if I could, uh, I I think a, a massive great big old English sheepdog would be good. Um, does ever, does anyone have a more sad, disappointed face than Anthony Martial when he misses a chance? Asks at Ritesh underscore R underscore Singh. I think, yeah, for a player who's accused of not showing emotion, when he does show his disappointment, you can see he's broken-hearted every time he misses a chance. Yeah, yeah, he has a look of pain on him, for sure. Yeah, he does. He looked so happy when he scored as well. Um, it was nice. And, and, you know, Mourinho gave him the big Mourinho hug when he, the kind of, you know, you come to me on my daughter's wedding day kind of hug, you know. Um, that was... <laughs> Is that the worst Marlon Brando that's ever been attempted? It's got a bit really terrible. Well, there was Much some husker to, there. There was, you know, yeah, there was. It was, but it was a lot more like Grover than Godfather. You'll come to me on my daughter's wedding day. And that's Yoda. Yeah, well, Grover and Yoda are both Frank Oz characters. It's fine. Close enough. My daughter's wedding day. You'll come to me on. This is getting worse. Um, with the potential uh, for seven out of the next eight games to be cup games, asks at Shark Hamlet, will we find out if United are a good tournament team? I guess we will. I guess we will. Yeah. Um, we could we could have won a trophy in a couple of weeks' time. Two weeks today. That makes you a good tournament team if you start winning a trophy, doesn't it? It certainly does. Does that that does that make Van Hal's team a good tournament team? <laughs> they had a good run. Fairly favourable draw, I think it was, last season. Uh-huh. Uh, someone, uh, my friend Joe, pointing out to me that um, the quarterfinals, if we get past this next round, the quarterfinals of the FA Cup are likely to be absolutely brutal. It's likely to be one of the hardest quarterfinal draws in kind of long, uh, for a long time, uh, depending on how things go in the next round. Um, but yeah. Um Oh, okay. I, I feel like we should address this question, uh, which is from um, at Dave Boy Boy, which is why do so many people keep questioning the god that is Zlatan Ibrahimovic? Twenty plus goals at the age of thirty-five. F in hell, he says. Um, I mean, the reason that I don't think too many people are questioning—I mean, some people are—but not too many people are questioning whether it was a good idea for United to sign him. But you can allow, you'd be allowed to say he had a terrible game and caused United a bit a bit of difficulty. Well, for some people, you're not allowed to say that. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, you're definitely not. Um, I think I mentioned that he didn't have a good game on Twitter, and there were several people saying, huh, "Where would United be without him?" <laughs> uh, something, something of a non sequitur. Yes, absolutely. At Vikash Patel 94 says, have either of you been on safari? If not, would it be something you'd like to do at some point in the future? Couldn't be more of a self-indulgent choice of question for the last question, but there we go. Um, I think we both have, right? No, I've never been on safari. Did you never, when you were in South Africa, you never went and saw animals and stuff? No, no, Okay, for some reason I thought you had. I I went uh, a few times when I lived in Zimbabwe, um... Most memorably, my dad, who never lived, who never lived there, came to visit for a holiday, and we went to Huangue National Park, and uh, we were in a uh, a jeep, and uh, there was a, a rogue bull elephant on his own, about ten feet away from this jeep, and he made a lot of noises and did a bit of stamping, and they were the guy was like, "Okay, everyone." Don't worry, just uh, sit really still and in a minute he's going to wander off and this will be fine. And I was like 11 years old and never been more terrified in my life of uh, than of Stampy the Elephant. But yeah, it's good. Would you like to do it? Is it something you'd like to do? It's not, I mean, on my list of things, the bucket list of travel things to do, it's not that high. I mean, everyone who okay. ever goes on a safari, and there's lots of people I work with have done it, Um uh they all say it's amazing. Yeah, so. absolutely amazing. Uh, the one slightly disturbing thing about it was the hotel we were staying at. You'd kind of get there at the end of the night, and like all the things you'd seen were on the menu. You'd probably like that. That'd be your favourite bit. No, of course. I've done that. <laughs> yeah, I did go to one winery and Stellenbosch. Uh, so you know, I ventured out of Cape Town. 
uh, to to reach wineries. <laughs> how on a scale of one to ten, right? How Tory does this sound? It really does, doesn't it? Yeah, God. Uh, um, uh, take this the right way, but Cape Town really is Africa for white people, isn't it? You know, or for Westerners who are a bit scared. Um, not that I'm scared. I've done very many interesting things around the world, but uh, yeah, going from Cape Town, taking a private limo out to a Ponzi <laughs> winery, which is what I did, and then eating every animal and having to look up several of them because you're not quite sure what they are but mm, that's quite tasty so fully yeah. paid up part of the problem right that's that's what we're saying here yeah 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 that, let, let's just let's not extrapolate from that one experience <laughs> to my whole value system no, okay no, absolutely not well i mean to be fair though the eating of inter- interesting animals is quite high up your value system isn't it hey they're tasty what can i say <laughs> um yeah uh anyway should we talk about some football uh can you tell i basically just been waffling to put off the bit of the show where we talk about the the upcoming games um, because I feel woefully ill-equipped to talk about teams either in the French First Division or the Championship, uh, which is which is what we've got coming up. Yeah. Um, you know, are, are we not football hipsters and we don't catch enough? Well, that's the problem. We are too much football hipsters. I can tell you everything about the Czech Third <laughs> Division and nothing about Ligue 1. Honestly, my, the amount of football that I watch outside of United is ridiculously small at the moment. It... it having to cover United and think so much about them really makes like watching any other football feel like a, feel like a busman's holiday. So I just end up not doing it. I I will like get halfway through much of the day (laughs) most weekends. And then I'm like, ah, who cares what happens between West Brom and West Ham? Although actually that was super exciting this week and Johnny Evans scored a late equaliser. So that was good. Yeah. Well, St. Etienne coming up. Yeah. Um, who uh, finished you know, reasonably placed in league uh, last season. A, a classic name of the 1970s. Famous green shirts, uh, the team of Michel Platini and, and of Laurent Blanc once. Um, that's that's about all I know. Uh, I haven't watched Saint-Étienne once this season. What about you? Uh, no, I haven't. I mean, I guess we should maybe touch upon the fact that this is, this is kind of more relevant to next week's game, the, the away leg. But in the 70s, United had an infamous clash with Saint-Étienne, which no doubt you are going to be reading tons about uh, in the coming week um, because uh, it's just, it's just perfect, a perfect time to tell that story. But, but there was, um, there were bread, there was a bread strike in England at the time. And the Saint-Étienne fans were like taking the mickey out of the United fans and throwing uh, like uh, stale loaves at them in 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 Santa Chen and the Red Army uh, did not take kindly to this and there were there were some ugly scenes as in the euphemism uh-huh. of the day um, which which got United thrown out of Europe uh, but uh, on appeal they uh, they managed to get their status uh, reinstated and they had to play the home leg in inverted commas of the tie at Fratton Park because it was a ground uh, a certain number i think 400 kilometers away from their home ground um or maybe 300 kilometers actually doing the maths um but of course like it was just like a home game because you don't stop the red army, do you? you bureaucracy's not getting getting in the way of that. Um, uh, you could you could say uh, in the seventies and eighties there were some uh, rather tasty members of the red army. Army was a fairly appropriate name at the time, wasn't it? Uh huh. Um, yeah. Look, this is a this this is a, a storied club. Uh, they're going to be celebrating their centenary next year. Um, yeah, I mentioned Platini and Blanc, but it's also the the club of. Um, Blaise Matuidi and Dimitri Payet in the past. Um, so, you know, lots of history at St Etienne. I'm waffling because I have no idea about their current side. But there will be a story involved in this game, apart from, you know, qualification for the next round of the Europa League. Uh, Paul Pogba's brother plays for St Etienne. It's the, it's, the, it's the clash of the Pogba's and he's played a lot in their uh, European campaign so far this season. Not necessarily always a first choice uh, selection. They're actually doing, I th- I'm pretty sure, I looked up the league and table when we got drawn against them and they were struggling. They were they were kind of very mid-table, but they're right up there now. They're, they're fifth, one point off um, Memphis Depay and uh, Raphael's Olympique Lyonnais. Um, 
in in fifth. So you know mm-hmm. they're, they're and and the big problem that they seem to be having last time I looked at the table was scoring goals, but they they've they seem to have fixed that. Although they've scored a lot less than any of the teams in the top four, but they hardly concede. So only Paris Saint Germain have conceded less than them in yep. the French top flight. Which well, it's, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting competition this year, isn't it? Because Monaco uh, out ahead. Is this the first time in six hundred years or something that Paris Saint Germain aren't going to win the win the league? The first Perhaps. time since United weren't sixth that Paris Saint Germain are going <laughs> to win the not win the league. And you know, just I mean, talk about Zlatan deserving credit. Like losing Zlatan has been an enormous blow to Paris Saint Germain. It turned out. Um, Monaco have scored 75 goals in 25 games this season. What? What's yeah. going on there? Most of them scored by Radamel Falcao as well. Like, what I, I, what's going on? Like, everything you've ever heard about Lee Gunn being rubbish <laughs> is true because Falcao was shot two seasons in England and he was horrible, yeah. um, both for United and Chelsea. So, um, going there and scoring a bag full of goals tells you something. Um, I read a report about uh, Lyon's also camp the other day and uh, Memphis Depay in like his first or second game for the club or whatever it was uh took a lot of criticism he did but Bit unfair scored scored um this weekend just gone yeah uh, in a comfortable victory I think it was a, a, an icing on the cake kind of goal um their top scorer this season is a player called Roman Hamuma who I have actually watched a uh YouTube compilation of there you go that's research um, he's sort of a tricky winger, quite skillful, but I reckon uh, it was pretty evident. You know, when you watch a player's YouTube compilation, which is obviously their best bits, and none of it is that good, and you're like, mm, okay, he's probably not absolutely amazing if this is the best stuff that they can find. Um, but he's, you know, he's a, he's a big kind of creative outlet for them and and top goal scorer, even though he doesn't often play uh, up front through the middle. Um, and other than that, familiar names, Jordan Vertu played for uh, Aston Villa um, in their disastrous relegation season. So, you know, that's the level we're talking about here. Um, but, I, I, I mean, even though this was a very shoddy preview, I think a team that is hardly conceding any goals isn't going to be easy opposition, are they? You know, because because there are like I mean, like the fact that Monaco have scored seventy five goals. There are there are teams in that division who score plenty, and and Santa Chen have stopped almost everyone from doing that against them. So, you know, I, I think taking it for granted would be an error just on that basis alone. Yeah, totally. And and there are teams um, at home uh, against which United have struggled to score goals as well. Funnily enough, mm-hmm. uh, although not necessarily in the the Europa League, um, so yeah, yeah, I'm looking. Look, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it is kind of odd that United have gotten sort of four cup games in a row or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, before the and and a shame, really, given how compressed the the league is, to not actually have any league football for a while. Uh, means it might be a little less compressed when we get back to it. Yeah, but uh, we'll have the kind of exciting thing of like knowing exactly what we have to do and seeing if we can hit that par, you know. But it's not. Excuse me. I think we'd all rather have the games, wouldn't we, at the moment? Um, and, and the thing I'm really looking forward to is um, in this game is is which Pogba brother goes in hard on the other Pogba brother <laughs> first. Who dabs over whose dead body? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> um, the in terms of uh, team selection, I mean, given the fact that we're playing Blackburn on the Sunday, I would imagine we're going to see a very, very similar team to the one that just played against um, Watford, right? There's, there's, doesn't seem to be any reason to mix that no, up. I think he'll play a strong team in this, and and he'll you know make six or seven changes for the team against Blackburn. Yeah, I bet Rooney plays against Blackburn, for example. Yeah, well, maybe Someone... that's going a bit far. Come on. <laughs> Someone pointed out to me. Um, Almost a bit wistfully, it's really interesting how quickly the Stretford end have kind of got used to not even really seeing Rooney warming up in a game like that against Watford. That he's become so peripheral so quickly and it's kind of, everyone's just, I mean, I don't see a lot of outrage about it. There's no one going, oh, why isn't he in the team? Why isn't he in the team? I think there is a there's a collective understanding that his his race is run, basically, and and... Not, not with any malice even. I mean, obviously there are people that have malice towards him, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the kind of just the general like, yep, yeah, he's uh, he's done his time, he's done an amazing job and, and we're all in the process of, of moving away from Rooney. And I think if, especially if we sign Griezmann, it's got to be next to impossible that he's there next season. Sure. 
I, I think he'll go in the summer, don't you? Yeah. He doesn't know. have to. He's got a contract, but uh, I can't see value for United and and unless he just wants to pick up the money and he's made lots and lots of money in his career, uh, it's not much good for Rooney either. No, I think a new adventure for him and uh, I'll be wishing him luck for that new adventure. new adventure for United? Well, an adventure that we've had many, many times before. Uh, lots of travelling Reds delighted with uh, the prospect of a trip to Blackburn Rovers with a massive, massive United end. Uh, it's going to be a noisy one. Uh, it will be, yeah. Uh, I can't say I'm a big fan of Blackburn Rovers. They've caused us some no. pain over the years, haven't they? Yes. Uh, yeah, quite enjoyed them getting relegated. Um, and they may <laughs> well get relegated again because they are dirt poor. This is a crappy championship team um, who have struggled uh, both in terms of quality uh, and scoring goals and conceding goals and losing games uh, for some time, uh, symptomatic of the total failure of uh, management that they've had at the club. Yeah, and I have to say, this is why um, there was little schadenfreude in seeing Blackburn's suffering for me, because it was the kind of very ugly suffering brought on by terrible, irresponsible ownership, which... You know, it's a sort of there but for fortune go we. Um, maybe not the bottom of the championship in United's case, but the the Vankies takeover, one of those kind of really unwanted, unheralded takeovers and just a, a completely unsuitable outfit to be running a football club. And they've, they're basically running them into the ground, aren't they? They are. So, you know, since they took over, it's it's six years now since they took over and they, they've, yeah, they have... Um, clearly no idea how to manage a football club. Um, they've gone through tons of managers, Steve Keane, Henningberg, Michael Appleton, Gary Bauer, Paul Lambert, and now they're on to Owen Coyle, who is a good manager um, and, you know, has achieved much in his and in, in his career. But, you know, he's obviously falling on hard times, having to, having to go to Blackburn Rovers, like anyone who would take a Leeds job. You know, it's not quite as desperate as that. But, um, you know, they've had a lot of managers in not much time um, uh, with the executive management who, you know, are not sure, are not sure how to run the club, sadly. Um, and it's unfortunate that too many clubs have, uh, have you know, gone this way over the years. I guess that's, you know, true. Um, that's been true throughout the history of football. Um, but it feels especially true as the game has, game has become globalised. Um, and it's sad for Blackburn Rovers fans, but you know, given the way that they uh, they celebrated our loss in, in 1995, <laughs> I don't care. This is like the Saint-Etienne fans who are going to definitely try and beat up United fans because of what happened in the 70s. You're still bitter about 1995. Yeah. <laughs> Never forget. Um uh, worth pointing out that Owen Coyle will definitely, definitely be referring to it as the Emirates FA Cup a lot in his post-match yeah. interviews. No, nothing if not loyal to the sponsor. No, a big proponent of calling it the Barclays. Owen, Owen Coyle always was. Um, I mean, I feel like it's very difficult to make predictions for these games based on the opposition, but but probably United are, have won the last two games 5-0 on aggregate with with little challenge really um so we're in a good vein of form again uh i guess i'll predict a a 2-0 win against santachen that feels maybe a little hopeful but it would be a good result a fantastic result and then yeah i think blackburn is going to be comfortable i'm going to go 4-0 for that one wow confident uh, we 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 you cut the Preview short somewhat there. Is that because you don't know much about Blackburn? Well, tell me more, Ed. Tell me more. I don't know much about Blackburn, but uh, <laughs> don't really watch the championship. The occasional game. I bet Corey Evans and uh, Knees Up West Brown are there. Oh, yes. Uh, I hope West Brown plays. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. If West that'd, be Brown, probably, that'd be good. If he plays, it's just going to be 90 minutes of United fans singing the West Brown song, isn't it? That's, you know. Totally. Totally. As, as he's a legend. Legend. Love that guy. Do you know, I think he's one of not that many players at all who was in the 99 uh, Champions League final squad and the 2008 Champions League final squad. You don't think of Wes Brown as having been part of the season in 1999, but he was. He was was, coming through. He's 37 years old. It just makes you feel old, that doesn't it? Like, it's very strange how Wes Brown's age makes you feel older than your own age does. 
The the other one this week was Chris Smalling is 27. Like Chris Smalling, people, were, I was saying, I put him on a list of players I think United should probably sell this summer. And uh, everyone was like, oh, he's only young. He'll be coming. He, he could still come good. And he's 27. This is him. This is what we got. You know, anyway. Wow, that's been knee jerk. What? In what way? Well, having to say, he was great last season, Chris Smalling. He clearly, no, clearly was... the manager has not been able to take the rough diamond and polish no, it. No, he was good between getting sent off against City in uh, late 2014 and getting injured right at the beginning of 2015. He was terrible after he came back for injury at the end of last season. Um, and terrible for quite a long time before that and pretty average before that. So one good calendar year does not a Man United career make, I would argue. Harsh. But yeah, it's a bit knee-jerk. We probably don't need to sell him. I just think he's our fourth best central defender and we, what we could do with is an upgrade or, or like get a joint first best one in and bump, you know, Phil Jones down to fourth place um, or Marcus Rocker. I don't know. They can argue out which one of them's higher up in the pecking order. I've got no idea. I didn't think it was that knee-jerk. That's the problem when you, you just do listicles. You, you know, you have to get the clicks, don't you? You become the Piers Morgan of of internet journalism. Listen, I hate to break this to you, Ed, but like having a pop at Chris Morling, it's not a particularly good traffic generator. <laughs> like that, I don't, I don't think anyone's going. Oh, oh blimey! I can't believe he said that Chris Morling should go. Let's click on this article. I, I also said that Wayne Rooney should go, which is perhaps more of a, you know, more of a thing. Looking back at my ratings from last season, I gave uh, Smalling eight out of ten. Oh, yeah, I think that was generous based on the, the... Next few years, we'll decide whether Smalling is a great player or just very good. Uh, which one is it? Well, it's not even very good at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> he was quite good against Watford, to be fair. I'm, I, I'm just uh, I'm delaying now because I want, I want to give you this the, the whole list on the list call, see which ones you agree with or disagree with, all right? All right? You, you prepared to do that with me, Ed? Yeah, go for it. All right, uh, I, I put uh, Antonio Valencia, Jesse Lingard on the we should definitely not sell them list. Um, those are the only vaguely controversial. So Antonio Valencia is not, not controversial. So Rooney, we should sell Rooney. I'm going to assume you agree with that. No, I think you should keep him. Great player, legend. Talking of great players and legends, Bastian Schweinsteiger. Yeah, got to go. Uh, this one's going to get the blood boiling. Ashley Young. <laughs> <laughs> Taking the creative risks. This is why I put Smalling on the list, because otherwise it would be just, very route one. Just, uh, you know, even if even if you're of the mind to say, it, even if one is the mind, or if I'm talking to the audience, even if you're of the mind to say, oh, he works hard, Ashley Young, just go look at his, uh, his numbers. Goals and assists and chances created. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, like, there was a time wow. when Ashley Young was a useful squad option for us. But it wasn't even is... a useful squad option then. <laughs> he was. He was brilliant in the four good Van Gaal games. <laughs> Go to my grave saying that. Um, Chris Smalling. So you disagree. You don't think we should sell Chris Smalling? Well, unless United are going to bring in two outstanding centre-halves, then there's no point. Okay, so you would say that you could keep five centre-backs on the books, potentially? Even with Twanzebe and Fosu Mensa coming through. Ah, is that your argument or is it about quality? Uh, it's, it's, no, it's a, well, my argument is a, a rounded, nuanced argument considering all sides of the situation, mm. as always. I think it's based on about three months of Jones and Rocco being good when <laughs> actually there's a good two years of Rocco being utter shit and Jones being injured to, to have a look at, which are much better evidence of their overall quality for United. But, you know, hey, that's just me. <laughs> I don't write listicles on the internet, so. You so know. would you would you keep say say you had a choice keep Phil Jones or keep Chris Smalling? You'd keep Smalling, would you? Yeah, probably. I mean, and Jones is clearly the more rounded, more talented player, but he's just always injured. Except this season, but he's injured now. But he's currently injured. So, I mean, Chris Smalling's had a lot of injury troubles as well. I should point this out. Like it was a long time before he played a thousand minutes in a season. Um, uh, Adnan Yanazai on this list, um, sort of almost like reluctantly, but feels like he had to have an amazing season at Sunderland to have any chance. I mean, if we sign Griezmann, there's 0% chance Yanazai stays, right? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's he's playing all right at Sunderland. I mean, obviously they got spanked at the weekend, uh, so, you know, maybe not so good then. Um, but uh, feels like he's a player with enough natural talent that he needs to have a really good career. Um, and... Uh, it's not worked out for him so far. Uh, it's a shame because 
as the song goes, he can do anything. Yeah, absolutely. Except apparently have a good attitude. Uh, Matteo Damian. That's a pretty straightforward one, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the last one is like, I mean, come on. Do, do I really need to say who the last one is? You know. David De Gea? Nope, it's not David De Gea. Just to clarify that it's not David. Don't even joke about it, Ed. Don't. David De Flady. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the De Gea stories have been doing the rounds this week. I'm scared, Ed. I'm scared. Yeah, but he's got a five-year contract now, or four years, or whatever. Um, so they, yeah, if Real Madrid really wants him, they're going to have to pay mega bucks, and we'll reinvest those mega bucks in exciting, talented attackers we don't need. Uh, yes, and uh, not Casper Schmeichel, as some people said it should be last summer. Um, having an absolute stinker. Leicester going down, aren't they? I mean, I guess so. Yeah, they lost again this weekend, and to Swansea. You can't just go losing to Swansea willy-nilly. That is not a good look. Uh, it's certainly not. Uh, and neither is us rambling inanely. Um, I didn't give you a prediction, so I'm going to say uh, United 2, St Etienne nil. No, you did. You did. And uh, and I'm going to say 3-1 uh, to United in the Cup. Uh, well, that'd be good if we do that. Oh, the idea of us conceding a goal leaves a bitter taste in the mouth. I've forgotten what that was like. Just much like not being in sixth. I don't remember what it was like to concede, but yeah. Um, all right. Well, everyone will be in a jolly good mood if that happens, no doubt. And uh, we will be back next week. If you want a bit more of the show um, and you're already backing us, then stay tuned. You'll get a bit more of the show. If, if this inane rambling hasn't been enough, inane rambling, we got some more inane la- rambling lined up for you. If you want to get involved with all that, patreon.com slash rantcast. Um, and you can get me on Twitter at UDDRantcast. You can get Ed on Twitter at UnitedRant. Um, both or more accurately, neither of us on Facebook. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you next week. See you then.